bless. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. I don't know if you paid close attention to just their culture like I do. I just watch our culture like a hawk almost. I just analyze it and pay attention to it. And life in America is all about who's in charge. You notice that? It's all about that. Who's in charge of the White House? Who's in charge of Facebook? Is it Mark Zuckerberg or someone else? Who's in charge of the Chiefs' defense? Who's in charge of the road construction project in front of the church building? People wondering that. Who's in charge of fixing dinner? Who is in charge of the kids tonight? I could go on. On big levels and big scale and small scale in all things, it's just life in America is all about who is in charge. In fact, for entertainment, if you're lacking things to do, just Google the phrase, who's in charge, and you will be, you receive a blizzard of information, just articles and things on every range of life and society. It's, it's truly amazing. Here's what's fascinating to me about all this. When Jesus entered our world, he did not come looking for leaders to put in charge of a fresh move of his spirit upon the earth. He didn't come looking for leaders like we think of leadership. You remember what he came looking for? Followers. It's all about followership. Because he's, he's the leader. And all the rest of us are not. News bulletin for all of humanity. He's the leader, not us. Here's what Jesus told the crowds who came to listen to him. Matthew 16, 24. He just, this was repeated over and over by Jesus in his teachings. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Why don't you just read that out loud with me? Just indulge me if you would. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Notice Jesus did not say, whoever wants to be my disciple must prioritize their ambitions, throw off their cross, and lead with gusto. That was not what he said, right? No. Jesus' call to the human race was follow. Be with me. Learn from me. Watch me. Listen to me. Trust me. Imitate me. Obey me. Devote yourself to me. Follow me. This is, this is the refrain that Jesus had over and over and over. Just, it's a thread throughout his teachings. And for 2,000 years, Christians have understood themselves to be followers because that's what a disciple does, follows the master, the leader. But in our present culture where who leads and who, when everything, everything's all about who's in charge, it gets fuzzy when you are in a culture that refuses to acknowledge God's in charge, right? So now it's all about which one of us is in charge. This is the culture. And so it just seems to me it's only appropriate that we think together for a few minutes about what makes a great follower from God's perspective. You and I cannot be reminded of this too often in the culture in which we live. And so for the next few minutes, I want to spotlight for you the top two indispensable characteristics of a great follower. All of Scripture is you know, just... Uh, founded upon these things. It's just scriptures built around these two characteristics. And so I hope that you'll take note of them. I hope you'll just do a little internal assessment and rededicate yourself to, to these uh, 
characteristics and the pursuit of them because you and I were each made to be a follower of God, of Jesus. And so I'm going to walk you through these uh, two characteristics real quickly. The first indispensable characteristic of a great follower is God's looking for faith-filled followers. The first ind indispensable characteristic is faith. You're just faith-filled. We can see this throughout the Bible, but a classic example of the importance of this in Scripture is found in the biblical book of Exodus. I love these passages I'm going to take you through this morning because on one level they're funny, on another level they're not. Uh, they're, they're just so insightful, uh, these passages. And let me just say, as I head into Exodus, Exodus has some of the worst examples of followership in all of the Bible. I, it's, 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 it reads like a comedy if it wasn't real. Exodus and Numbers, you just read this. This is like how not to follow is, is what the whole thing is about. And I'm exaggerating because there's other things to talk about. But that's, it's just amazing to me. And, and the people of Israel during the Exodus, if you watch them, they elevated rebellion and grumbling and complaint to an art form. It was, it's unbelievable. It's almost like you, know, you watch it in the media today and it's like we're, echoing, we're an echo chain. That, all of that happened then and it's like cycling around again and we're just we're like them in so many ways. And old, One Old Testament scholar notes that there are 11 times in the story of the Exodus when the people are said to grumble, for example. Just to grumble. And now, grumbling in that... Day was not just like how we think of it. It's, um, well, you'll see as we work our way through this. But I want you to, want you to just get a sense of this. The, there's an interesting Hebrew word for grumble, and it's, some of you are familiar with this if you have, remember your English. It's an onomatopoeia, the Hebrew word. It, it sounds like what it is, is what an onomatopoeia is. Grumble in English is like that. I just want you to kind of, Feel a little bit of this for a moment. So I just want you to say grumble with me. Grumble. Now, I just want you to say grumble, 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 grumble. Just keep saying it, okay? Grumble, 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 grumble. Keep, keep. Grumble, grumble, grumble. You know, add murmur in there, murmur. Some of you say murmur, some of you say grumble. I mean, these are words that are, that onomatopoeia, they just kind of sound like, it doesn't sound mutinous almost, it just sort of sounds unsettling, discontent. This is the way that some of the Hebrew words were. And this was the way everybody became during this area of history because the people of Israel were not faith-filled. What you see is Moses came to Egypt. He promised them freedom. God had called Moses, sent him there. He says to the people, God will be with you. He's going to deliver you from Egyptian slavery and bondage. And then, of course, you remember Pharaoh didn't cooperate. And so what did the people do? They grumbled. They grumbled. So God sent the ten plagues against their enemies. And then he one-upped himself. He destroyed the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. And you would think that they would be grateful, right? Wouldn't you think that? You would think so, but that's the way they got. When they got into the desert, they didn't have as much water as they wanted. So what did they do? They grumbled. They grumbled again. So, so God provided water miraculously at a place called Marah. So now they've been rescued. They've got water. I mean, God's clearly with them. You, you think they'd turn their attention to the fact that they've been uh, delivered. But no, what do they do? They notice that they don't have the kind of food that they want. Exodus 16.3 has this uh, to say. This is, this is what they said. 
Oh, that we were back in Egypt, they moaned. Just think about that word, moaned. Oh, you, some of you have young children, and they moan. <laughs> we're all going to eat hot dogs. <laughs> you're you're going to make me eat this. You know, we're not going to frozen custard. We're not going to do that. This is, this is the, this is the, they moaned. It would have been better if the Lord had killed us there. This is what they said. At least there we had plenty to eat, but now you brought us out in the desert to starve us to death. So God intervenes again, and he sends, you remember, manna, right? Manna. People look at the ground, and in Hebrew they say, what's, the, what's that? What is it? In the Hebrew word, when you say manna, I mean, that's the English translation, but it's basically, that's literally the Hebrew word meant, what's that? I mean, that, that's what they call, that was the term for manna. Oh, I'm going to have some what's that. I mean, that's, I mean, because they were so overwhelmed with what is that uh, there and so forth. And it was amazing food by all accounts because uh, Exodus, uh, Moses tells us that it tasted like wafers made with honey. That sounds pretty cool. You could fix it all kinds of ways. You could bake it or boil it or eat it raw. It was a very versatile food if you read the biblical text. Uh, some of you remember the old, old movie Forrest Gump. You remember that? You know, all the different ways you could fix shrimp. Remember that? So uh, in the similar sort of way, manna was kind of like that. You could have baked manna, broiled manna, barbecued manna, manna on a stick, manicotti. Banana bread. <laughs> Sorry, that was really lame. That made everybody happy, right? No. What did they do? They grumbled. Think about this. They've got deliverance from slavery. They're enemies. They've got water. They've got manna. They'll be grateful forever, you would think. But that's not what happens. There's just more complaining. Numbers 11 in the Bible continues to show us how not to follow. Okay, you know, how not to be faith-filled. Numbers 11, verse 4 and following, says, Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with, all, uh, with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt, and the people of Israel also began to complain, Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. Okay, they've got manna now, but, you know, we're not content with that. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember all the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic that we wanted. And just think about this. On some level, they're in denial because they were slaves. Okay, they were slaves. Working like sun up to sundown and beyond hours much of the time. And well, we had everything we wanted, verse 6. But now our appetites are gone as if they weren't back then. And day after day, we have nothing to eat but this manna. This manna. I want you to notice something else about this discontent, not faith, grumbling kind of thing that's going on with the people of Israel. Did you notice it started in the text, the one we just read, with the foreign rabble, and then it expands to include the people of Israel, right? which should tell us something about this kind of thing. Non-faith, discontent, is contagious. It can spread. 
It's viral. In verse 10, which follows, the Bible goes on to say that Moses heard all the families standing in front of their tents weeping. Moses, who God called to come lead these people out. Moses heard them all standing in front of their tents weeping, and the Lord became extremely angry. It's interesting because the Bible doesn't say that about God too many places, that he became extremely angry. You read, sometimes he gets angry. But here he gets extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me, your servant, so miserably? So now, now Moses is complaining to God. What did I do to deserve this burden of a people like this? Are they my children? Am I their father? Is, is that why you've told me to carry them in my arms like a, little, like a nurse carries a baby to the land you swore to give to their ancestors? I mean, this is pretty edgy here, talking to God this way. He goes on, where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep complaining and saying, give us meat, give us meat. I, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. I'd rather you killed me than, than treat me like this. Please spare me this misery. I mean, now Moses is just complaining, grumbling himself. He's saying, just kill me now, God. This is, just put me out of my misery. I did not father these children. You did. You did. Grumbling and discontent have taken over everyone. There's no joy, no energy, no motivation. There's no faith. And if you read on in the story, that's a dangerous place to be when God gets extremely angry. So let me ask you, are you more likely to grumble about problems in your life as a follower of God or are you more likely to be faith-filled? More likely to be grateful for the blessings that he has brought into your life. I mean, what's your reflexive tendency right now? Just want to encourage you to remember that great followers of God, from his perspective, are faith-filled followers. Doesn't mean they have to like the problems or some of the people that come into our lives, but it is, is that we need to respond to them with God's help, with faith and gratitude for the many blessings that He does bring into our lives. And all of us are capable of that, but we've got to be called back to it because we live in a generation of complaint, don't we? If the basis of all marketing is that I gotta make you discontent so my product can be sold to you, so I can make money, if that's the basis of all marketing, I, mean, I got a vested interest in you being very uncontent and very unhappy, right? At least in my slice. And we live in a culture where every sector of society is doing that. What do you think it does to our souls? It breeds, it's contagious, the discontent. And it wells up to be a lack of faith. Eventually, it overwhelms the leadership. It should concern us. And this is one of those things where you and I, as followers of God, need to conclude, I am going to rebel against that. And what I mean by that is I'm not going to play that game. I'm, I am going with God's help. I want to be a faith-filled 
grateful person till the day I die because I was made for that. It's the kind of follower that God's looking for. Just rededicate yourself to that this morning. According to the Bible, the second indispensable characteristic of a great follower is that God's looking for faithful followers. Not just faith-filled, but faithful followers. A classic example of the importance of this is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 32. It's, it's one of my favorite passages to kind of paint this picture and because it's so applicable to all of us. In this particular passage, Aaron, who was Moses' brother, uh, is sort of the spotlight, the focus uh, of attention of much of what takes place in this passage. Aaron was not called by God to be the leader of the people of Israel. Uh, that was Moses. But if you remember, Aaron was sort of called to be uh, on the public relations side, shall we say. Press secretary, you might think, for, uh, for Moses as it relates to uh, all the things. His Moses sort of had some... He stuttered. He had some communication issues. He whined to God on the beginning end of this. And God finally relented and said, okay, well, here comes your brother. So Aaron gets assigned to communicate on Moses' behalf lots of public levels. Well, I want you to think about this now before we read some of these verses. Aaron was simultaneously in that role. He's simultaneously a follower and, shall we say in our vernacular, a mid-level leader, Right? He's kind of a mid-level leader who has influence. He has influence above, influence below in the org chart. That's how we think, right? So he, so he has influence like all of us do. You could argue that on a spiritual level, the most senior, Billy Graham was at best a mid-level leader. Okay? Just to give you, because God is God. Not Billy, not Mother Teresa, not me, not you, not any of us. So I, at, at most, any of us is a mid-level leader. So, so I, want, I say that because I want you to connect with Aaron as we work through this because he does some things that we're tempted to do. And God wants great followers who respond in a different way than what we see take place here. With all that in mind, though, Exodus 32 tells us in verse 1 that when Moses failed to come back down the mountain right away, Moses, remember, he's gone up the mountain, he's talking with God, and he's been up there 40 days. The passage goes on and says, when Moses failed to come back down the mountain right away, the people went to Aaron. Why would they go to Aaron's pause? Why would they go to Aaron? He's Moses' brother, and they know that, like, he communicates on behalf of, of Moses, right? So this is, this is why they go to him. It's a natural response. So they go to Aaron. Look, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. This man, Moses, who brought us here from Egypt, has disappeared. We don't know what's happened to him. There's a big drama going on here. The leader's gone, okay? He's away on a sabbatical somewhere up on the mountaintop with God. He can't be reached. Nobody has a clue where he is. Visions begun to leak, right? As it often does. The people are ready to abandon their faith, their identity, ready to give up on God. They want, you know, they, this God who led us out of Egypt, you know, we know he was with Moses. Where's Moses? We don't know where God is, so give us some gods. The pivotal question here is what's Aaron going to do in this moment? What's he going to do? Is Aaron going to stand up and be counted as faithful 
even if no one joins him, even if everybody rebels against him? Is he going to tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear? What will he do? If you've read the biblical record, you know what Aaron decides. He thinks to himself, looks at the crowd, notices their tone of voice. You get the sense that Moses had just gone up the mountain just a few days earlier. He hadn't come right back down. And so, you know, he's thinking, I don't know when he's coming down either because he doesn't know the agenda here. And so he says, I'm not the leader. Not my job to make sure these people stay on track. This is all going through Aaron's mind. And he takes a passive approach to the situation rather than a faith-filled approach. And here's what he says in verse 2 of Exodus 32. Tell your wives and sons and daughters to take off their gold earrings and then bring them to me. So everybody does that. He collects their jewelry. If you read on, he melts it down, all of the gold, the, the precious uh, metals and so forth. He uh, makes a golden calf out of it all. Then he invites the people to a giant festival, which basically turns into a drunken orgy, if you read the Bible. Aaron didn't initiate all of that. But here's the thing. He didn't try to stop it. In fact, he facilitated some of it. And not only were the people unfaithful, as you read on the text, you see, so was Aaron. He was responsible for modeling, for upholding faithfulness. He was responsible for courageously standing firm, even if nobody went with him, even if it cost him his life. But he didn't. And when Moses came back down the mountain, Aaron began to learn the hard way that this was a big, big deal. The Bible says that Moses, verse 21, turned to Aaron, what did the people do to you? He demanded. How did they ever make you bring such terrible sin upon them? I mean, what did they do, what did, what did they do to make this happen to you? It's another critical moment in the life of a follower of God here. And you get to this point because we're all going to make these mistakes. But the question becomes, will we learn from them or are we just going to run from response, evade responsibility? What will we do? Will we own what we, our choices or will we try to pin them on somebody else or just make excuses? What will we done? It's like Adam and Eve who sin in the garden. What do they do? They go hide and then they start blaming. You know, well, the, the woman you gave me made me do it. You know, it's kind of this, the serpent made me do it. And it's this whole finger pointing thing is. Would Aaron take responsibility? Well, if you look at verse 22, chapter 32, Aaron says, Don't get upset, sir. Aaron replied, You yourself know these people and what a wicked bunch they are. So, like, it always is a win to poke a finger in the eye of the, the people who can't defend themselves at this point. Verse 23 goes on and says, They said to me, Make us some gods to lead us, for something has happened to this man Moses who led us out of Egypt. That's all true, right? Verse 24, so I told them, bring me your gold earrings. When they brought them to me, I threw them into the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> Dumb luck. Look at that. I, I, it's a miracle. I threw it in the... F Aaron's just saying, imagine my surprise. What shock. Aaron's not only abandoned his responsibility, he's evading accountability here. 
And when followers of God do that, bad things always happen. If you read the, you go on to read the rest of the chapter, bad things happen. It, here's the point. If Aaron would have been willing to stand up and be counted as faithful, even if it cost him something or no one went with him, things might have been different. They might have been different. From God's perspective, great followers are willing to stand up and be counted as faithful, even if it costs them, even if nobody goes with them. They're committed to being faith-filled, faithful followers of God. So I just want to ask you, will you choose today to face the circumstances and people of your life in a faith-filled and spiritually faithful kind of way? I'm not telling you that it would be easy. In fact, it's interesting, you look at Jesus, he, he doesn't tell people that it's going to be easy to follow him. He doesn't say that. That's why he says in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, not easy, and take up their cross, not easy, and follow me. You know, the math equation, that's not easy either. None of the three are easy. But you and I were made to make the choice to become that kind of follower of God who, who love him so much because he's loved us so much that we're willing to be faith-filled and faithful followers. So I was thinking about uh, trying to come up with a picture in my mind of this. You know, there are all kinds of different images that came to mind, but uh, one that I settled on, um, I want to close with a picture of one of the most faith-filled, faithful followers I know. It's our aging... Uh, dog, Sam. He's a 13-year-old Labrador retriever. He's got quite a bit of pain at this point. You can tell that I like him. <laughs> he gets winded, short of breath pretty easily. His eyesight hearing are not what they used to be. I have him on a leash in this picture because you know, he just sniffs everything and he falls down quite a bit at this point. But this dog will follow me wherever I lead him. He is faith-filled. To his own detriment sometimes, if I walked him too far out into that water, he would follow me out into the water thinking because dad's with me, I can go there, right? He'll stay right by my side even if everyone else has another agenda. He is faithful. And it's an imperfect illustration, but here's what you and I have to understand. that This is, God gives us the animal world. He gives us all of these parts of our world for us to understand the kind of followers, in this case, that he envisions us being. Faith-filled, faithful followers that will follow the master wherever he leads, trust him to the core of their being, 
even if it leads to their own harm temporarily, because in the long term, it's going to be just fine, only better. Not even going to be fine, it's going to be better. And I just love this picture. Let me bring that picture back up one more uh, second there, shallow, if you would. Um, but what I love about this picture, could you bring that picture? There he is. I just, I, I love the little ripple right there. I love that. Why? Because followers like this always make a mark. They always, I mean, there's always a ripple effect of their lives. It will make a difference. Is the ripple effect of your life and mine going to be over the centuries? Maybe not. Probably not. But there is a sphere of relationships, a sector of our world that you and I have been planted in that the ripple of our lives will make a huge difference and God will be pleased, you'll be blessed, the world will be a better place. But that's only going to happen if we're faith-filled, faithful followers of the God we claim to serve and follow. So, Invitation this morning is just for you to rededicate yourself to that because for the most part, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm just telling you things that are difficult for you and me to do on a consistent basis in the world in which we live. God will help you. God will help me, help us, if we'll endeavor to do this. Couldn't help but think as I was preparing all of this, the extent to which Jesus was faith-filled and faithful to the Father and to his mission uh, even though it cost him his life, even though it meant that he was not a friend of many in the, in the world of his day. I mean, he made plenty of enemies because he was just choosing to follow God. He wasn't trying to tick everybody off. It just, there's plenty of people that are committed to not following God with their lives. What was true then is true now. Has always been true. Why do you think Abel got killed by his brother Cain? Because Cain observed Abel's life that was virtuous and righteous and concluded, I don't like that. And every time I look at his life, it makes me feel bad about not doing what I know I should be doing. And so he concluded, I will eliminate the problem, not choose a different path himself. It, he killed Abel, right? Jesus became a casualty of this kind of environment. And just as he did, um, a servant is not greater than his master. Meaning you and I will have our difficulties. We will endure our hardships and sufferings. Sometimes at the hands of others. Sometimes a choice that I made. You know? But Jesus was faithful to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross, even though it cost him his life. And as we share in the Lord's Supper this morning, it's an opportunity for you to just rededicate your life to being faith-filled, faithful followers. As your usher service in just a moment, um, just invite you to just commit yourself to that. Before we uh, share in communion, I invite you to sing a prayer with our vocalists and band. Uh, once we're finished with that, our ushers will serve us uh, the Lord's Supper. I'm going to invite you, if you would, just to stand up with us, sing this song with us.
sing it from your heart. All right. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer. And as you're doing that, our elders are going to help me with this. And Lori, why don't you come on up here too? And um, just want to say, as they're all coming up, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, you never invited him to forgive you of sin, to cleanse you, to make you his, um, just look heavenward this morning. It's a perfect opportunity to do that. He cares about you, loves you more than you understand or know, more than we'll ever comprehend this side of heaven. But he does. He cares about you. Also, want you to know that uh, today, afterwards, if you've never been baptized, opportunity for you to see a couple of people being baptized. We have four people, I believe, baptized after the service today. And our baptistry is right over here. And we'll take the top off and we'll set the ramp out there or steps so you can get down into it. But uh, be a perfect opportunity for you to see somebody because when people are baptized in water, it's a, it's a physical image of surrender that you are personally participating in. It's the fact that it's active, that it's action-oriented is purposeful on God's part, I believe. Because by doing so, as you go under the water, you're identifying with his death, like when he went into the grave in the tomb. And when you come up out of the water, it's like you're identifying with his resurrection. And uh, it, it's a promise. It comes with a promise that he'll fill you with his Holy Spirit. And so uh, this morning would be a great opportunity for you to see one. If you've never seen one, maybe you need to be baptized yourself. Uh, would encourage you to, to let us know and we can help you facilitate that. So, okay. Uh, we're going to pray together. And Jeff, you can yep. say a word or two and then uh, we'll all pray here. Yes, as we wrap sorry. Up. We, we didn't practice this, obviously. <laughs> so, um, they, you are receiving or have received one of these uh, prayer cards. I think the ushers are coming down now to pass them out. There we go. And uh, so we just encourage you to, uh, while they're uh, while they're gone to just pray for them on a daily basis or or three times a day you know whatever whatever you can I'm going to steal something that we do um, on our hero makers trip uh, on our mission trip down to Mexico uh, and, and going to suggest that you uh, set your alarm on your phone for three o'clock that's what we do down there no matter what we're doing no matter what we're working on we stop and we pray and we just uh, every day it's different you know what we might pray for just let the God let the Holy Spirit leads you in that. But uh, I would encourage you to do that. It would be really cool if, as a congregation, we all kind of knew in, uh, that we were all praying around 3 o'clock. It just yes. occurred to me that okay. there may be somebody here today who wasn't here last week and are wondering, why would we be praying for Greg and Lori? <laughs> are they disappearing yeah. somewhere? Yeah, and what, what is, that's, that's good. What's, that's, what's that's good. He, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Moses, he's leaving. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> Come to Jeff and bring your jewelry to Jeff. You in, know. in like two or three weeks, if you see me back up here and I'm like, you know, please take off your earrings and your jewelry. Uh, don't do it. 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 Uh, so Greg and Lori are, will be leaving uh, sometime here this week uh, for a sabbatical, about a three-month sabbatical roughly. And uh, I, we announced that last week. And uh, the, the prayer card here will... Uh, We'll explain a little bit about what we are going to pray for them um, while they're gone. And uh, so it's a great thing. We're excited about it, it to be honest with you. Uh, 30 years here, uh, uh, the same, uh, same pastors at a church is a rarity. It's a rarity. And uh, this is probably long overdue. And uh, we probably should have done this a long time ago. But we're happy that we're doing it now. And uh, we're excited for them, excited for us. And 
as I said last week, we have several uh, cool speakers lined up. So every week will be somebody different. So encourage you guys to uh, to come and, and check them out every week. So um, we're going to pray here in just a just a second here. The three of us will pray, and then and then Greg's going to going to end and, and pray for all of us here while we're uh, still here. So let's gather around them. <clears throat> God, we just uh, we just thank you for Greg and Lori and what they've meant to the, your church here at Southwoods, and uh, we just thank you so much for for what they've done here, the lives that they have touched over the years, the lives that have come to know you um, and have been uh, baptized and fully devoted followers of Christ. We just we just give you all the praise for that, and we uh, we thank you for your divine plan in sending them here. And um, we also give you thanks in advance for what will be done in the future here at Southwoods. And right now, we just pray a blessing on them as they uh, are able to take some time for themselves and to just get closer to you and uh, to just be able to, to rest and, uh, and rejuvenate, Lord. We just pray for safety for them as, as they're uh, doing that and they would uh, just come back uh, uh, renewed in spirit, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Father God, we just thank you for this family. We thank you for who they are, what they've done, what they continue to do, their faithfulness. We just pray, Lord, uh, in the coming months through their travels that, um, that their work here will continue, that this congregation will um, continue to grow in its faithfulness and its willingness to say yes, Lord, and that we can uh, emulate the faithfulness that they have shown uh, just be the uh, the hands and the feet, the salt and the light that uh, that you would have us be. Thanks for Greg and Lori, and uh, we just love them and want them to know that uh, they are a big part of the reason uh, that we are the Christian congregation that we are, and we're eternally grateful. Lord Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the faithfulness that Greg and Lori have given to this church over the past 30 years. And Lord, we just ask that during their sabbatical, uh, may the Holy Spirit live and breathe in them as they attend their conferences to gain new wisdom, to renew their spirit, to renew their energy. Lord Heavenly Father, we ask for safe passage as they also uh, take some trips uh, for a vacation and uh, just be with them always. And of course, uh, in uh, their absence, may this flock flourish. It's in your name we pray. And Father, I just thank you for uh, your many blessings, and I thank you for chief among them, this church and these people and our eldership, our entire leadership body here, and all the volunteers here, everybody who makes up Southwood. So grateful, Father, for who each one is and who we are together. And our request is, God, just for your blessing, your richest blessings to be upon them. We know that Anything that's good about this place is good because you are among us. Mm. You are first and preeminent among all of us. Uh, there's none like you. And so uh, we just ask for your spirit to fill this place and these people and the ministries, the, the leadership of Southwoods. We just pray for, for fresh wind, fresh fire from your spirit for all of us as we go into this next uh, little window of time. And, and may it overflow from all of this. 
uh, to bring about good for uh, the, the benefit of Christ who sacrificed himself for all of us. Uh, apart from him, uh, there could be no good things. But because of him, um, everything's different. Everything will be different, not just now, but for eternity. And we're so grateful. So may your blessing rest on the speakers who step onto this platform in the weeks ahead. May your blessing be on the worship. May your blessing be on every small group that meets, on ministries that launch this fall, be on new people who visit during this window of time. May your spirit fill those of us who are here to, to encourage and welcome those folks and to guide them toward progress and toward you. And we'll rejoice to serve you together. Thank you for this break. But Father, we just pray for, uh, for that fresh wind, fresh fire, fresh vision, all of these renewal kinds of things that when uh, we come back, uh, we'll just be even more equipped to, uh, to serve you and to serve this body in a way that would honor Jesus. Thank you for your grace. May your spirit be upon us all. In Jesus' name we ask this. And everybody agreed with me and said? Amen. 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 Bless you all. Thank you. Thank you.